Welcome to episode 80 of The Real Photo Show, sponsored by the School of Visual Arts MFA Photo, Video, and Related Media Program, chaired by Charles Traub. My guest today is Andy Dunn, but before we get to that, some events are happening. First up, tomorrow, December 5th, from 5 to 7 p.m., uh, is the reception for the retrospective of Gary Soretsky's work from 1972 to present. And I think I mentioned earlier, Gary was a photo history professor at Mercer when I started working there. Uh, he's also an archivist for Monmouth County, New Jersey. And his work shows an incredible range, something you might expect from someone who taught photo history and who has been an archivist for almost 50 years. So the talk for that show will be at 6 o'clock, and for those of you who have asked me in the past, there is parking at the JKC Gallery in Trenton. It's right across the street. Uh, you can find out the address and hours and more information at realphotoshow.com. And then coming up next on December 10th, I'll be hosting a live show co-sponsored by St. Lucie Books and the School of Visual Arts MFA Photo, Video, and Related Media Program. Uh, this show will be with Oliver Wasau and Mark Alice Durant of St. Lucie Books. Uh, and we'll be talking about Oliver's new book, Friends, Enemies, and Strangers, which was selected by art critic Jerry Saltz as one of the five top books of the year. I'll paraphrase a little bit from his description of it. Wasau provides a penetrating look at some of the dark darker characters now in the American political stage. That means the whole odious Trump brood, as well as Republican enablers like Paul Ryan, Kellyanne Conway, and Sean Spicer. Each picture seems to have been slightly altered, but you never see how. The colors have been pitched toward the eerie, gaudy, and phantasmagorical. Also on hand are a collection of psychologically probing pictures of Wasso's friends, family, and neighbors. The whole thing is an American yearbook. And we'll talk about how Oliver recontextualizes these portraits through the layout of the book and through the altering of the photographs. That is open to the public, and again, it's on December 10th from 7 to 9 p.m. And again, you can find more information, including the address, at realphotoshow.com. All right, so again, my guest today is Andy Dunn, who had just flown in from London for the premiere of his documentary film, Last Stop Coney Island, The Life and Photography of Harold Feinstein, which showed at the Doc NYC Festival. Andy is a filmmaker and a photographer, and he used to work for the BBC producing some really interesting music shows. And we have a fantastic conversation about the life of Harold Feinstein uh, and how maybe he should be better known, uh, but also how he rejected being in the Family of Man exhibition. And he left New York to go teach in Philadelphia, knowing full well that that might lead to him living a more obscure life as a photographer. But you'll hear throughout the show how Harold's life intersects with such greats as Mary Ellen Mark and Salvador Dali and Thelonious Monk and even the Lone Ranger. So this is a really fun and lively conversation, and I was just mesmerized by Andy's British accent. Uh, all right, everyone. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the show, and we'll talk soon. I just started this on my own. Wow, it's amazing. Well because done. I have a 110-mile commute to round trip to work, oh. and I listen to a lot of podcasts, right. and I started playing them out in my head. What if I wanted to do one? Yeah, yeah. What would I do? And I was like, why don't I just do it? <laughs> oh, so when did you uh, land? When did you come uh, um, to New York? Not yesterday, the day before. Oh, so what have you been doing? So 
Well, I... What have I been doing? The, as part of the Doc NYC Film Festival, they arrange um, meetings with industry people, which is actually amazing. It's really, you know, good, great quality people from distributors and film companies. And, all oh. that. So, and you get these little kind of roundtable meetings with other filmmakers. So it's kind of lovely but also kind of scary. You know, it's a bit of a speed dating situation. You go in, you're kind of subtly trying to pitch your thing, but without being too overbearing and being right. kind of all considerate. Your elevator pitch. Exactly. Right. And, you know, it's been amazing, but it's, it's really intense. You do four half hours straight in a row. There's no wow. gap in the middle. So I've just come from there literally now. So I'm a bit kind of... Oh, yeah, you must be my head's spinning. spinning a little yeah. bit, right? You've been... Talking. Well, you don't have to sell me on the film. I watched it. Uh, so oh, good. Yeah, I yeah. thought it was great. I really, I really um, just like the sequencing, and you know, it, it, it's a, it's a timeline kind of documentary, mm. right? It, I mean, it it, um, it it mostly follows. Oh yeah, we're recording. <laughs> <laughs> We've been recording. Yeah. Okay, good. Just checking. Yeah. There's no red light. No, no red light. Oh, I'm all, I get to see all the red lights. Okay. You don't. Yeah. See here. Look. We're okay. Recording. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a documentary. <laughs> okay. <laughs> before we, but actually, before we jump into the the documentary itself, so yeah, you you've been making the rounds, uh, but you, you must have, did you have any free time at all? Have you been uh, taking um, anything in? Yeah, no, um, we did went out for dinner last night, but nothing in the day. De- it's been who's we back to back. My I brought my editor with me, Lawrence. Huck. Oh, okay. Uh, he's out here for for the fun of it and supporting me. We, my wingman. We edited. Um, we edited the film in his shed at the end of his garden in South London. So, really? Yeah, he's been a real trooper on, on the project. So he's here, and then um, people from the Harold Feinstein uh, Photography Trust, so Judith Thompson, Harold's wife, um, and Carrie Scott's here, who's also based in London, but she's American. She's an art um, consultant. Uh-huh. She's been working with the trust on, on Harold's archive as well. So there's a, there's a bit of a gang of us here, and there's more people arriving today oh, so to come to the premiere tonight. So I have a, um, I juried a show down in Atlantic City, and my, actually my um, top awardee loves Harold Feinstein. Oh, really? She's, yeah, she just loves him. And she wanted to know if the family was going to be here for the screening. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow, wow mm. she must come along. We can find her a ticket for tomorrow night. I'll, I'll text her on the way out. Yeah, we, yeah. We, we sold out. Un- I wasn't really prepared for that, but the, the screening sold out, so luckily they gave us a second one the next night. So and how's that doing? That's the 15th? now 70, 75% full as well. Oh, so. okay. Um, you know, I was interested to find out who knew about Harold and who didn't. Like, you're, you know, you know everything about New York photography. And, and yet, I very little. I knew very little about Harold Feinstein. That's amazing. Isn't it? And I think from... Like listening to your podcast, I have a sense of this kind of community of people you roll with, as it were. So yeah, I've learned about true. people like Thomas Romer and right. Charles Traven. So I know those guys, but then they perhaps don't mix with other little circles of people. That's that's it. I always say that um, it's not a it's not an art world. It's a bunch of little tribes that barely get along. You know? Yes, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> kind of silos. <laughs> right. And right. people like well, people like Harold particularly just wasn't really in the scene. He and didn't bother with any of that. He didn't go to openings. He wasn't. He didn't have representation. And yet I've met Helen Levitt. Right. And I know Mary and I knew Mary Ellen Mark really well. Right. And, right. you know, of, I never met Gary Winogrand. I met John Tchaikovsky. Yeah. Uh, you know, so I knew I knew people who knew Harold directly. Yeah. Right. And, and Lee Freelander. And yeah. Right. Yeah. And you would know people like Harold Greenberg, of course. Right. Who, so he knew Harold. Yeah. And, you know, he's in the film interviewed. 
Um, and I sort of think, oh, well, if they know him, then at least everyone in New York will. But even now, I'm discovering people who are really in the know of photography, just like, he's, wow, I never heard of this guy. He's just not in the books the yeah. way everyone else is in the books. Yeah, exactly. Isn't that amazing? Well, and that's kind of the point of making right. the film, really. I mean, that's, exactly. that's the hook. Although it isn't a sort of, um, it's not quite that wow discovery of no. Vivian Meyer where nobody even knew she <laughs> yes, existed. right. You know, right, ha- right. Harold did have um, his moment in the in the fifties, particularly and collections, exactly. And, and he is in you know the MoMA, and he's so he's it's, he wasn't completely unknown, but he definitely had sort of receded from from view, partly yeah. by choice, in fact. You know, he just he wasn't des- he wasn't worried he wasn't sitting around worried about not right. being talked about in New York. <laughs> you know, well, you yeah, and you make the point in the in the film that when he goes to Philadelphia to teach at uh, University of Pennsylvania at the Annenberg yes, right, Center. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, is that where he met Mary, Mar- Mary Ellen yes, Mark? The Annenberg? Ex- yeah. Exactly, yeah. Um, and, and so the point is made in the film that that's kind of when he disappears for a while. And it was it, he rejects uh, being in the family of man exhibit, yeah, yeah. right? So well, I, that, that's one that I can, it, it, again, you could easily just go, oh, well, there you go. You know, he should have done that. And nothing's ever as simple as that. No. I think it was a confluence of things that happened around about that time. Mm-hmm. That was a good example of the way <laughs> right. he didn't really play ball with what one would expect of a, certainly of like an ambitious art you know, artist who wanted to be in, in the establishment. Yeah, I don't, but, I don't blame him for that one, to be honest. Whenever, whenever I hear about the way the family of man was made, the way the, the prints were all made to look like they were one artist, so to speak, or yeah. one person uh, curating, and also the recontextualization of some of those photos mm. has always been problematic. Yeah, so yeah. who knows if that was, a, you know, the I, right decision. I think the thing with him was that it, you, when you get to know his work, you sort of think if, if ever there was anyone who should have been in the family of man, his work, his work naturally chimes with that attempt oh, that absolutely. they were making to, you know, about the Korean, humanity. the Korean war photos are unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, yeah. because they're not war photos in, in, the, in the traditional sense. They mm. are, they're the downtime. They're yeah. the, the waiting. Uh, they, I think you describe it as a, 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 the waiting and the missing. Uh, Harold describes it as yeah. the waiting yeah. and the missing. And it's so beautiful mm. When he says missing and you're looking at those photographs and there it is Absolutely. right in the photos. Yeah, yeah. These, these, these guys, tough, well, supposedly tough guys. But of <laughs> course, the point's made in the film that really they're the same guys who were knocking about on Coney Island boardwalk yeah. week earlier. You they know. were the same guys pulling pranks on each other on the boardwalk. Now they're in war. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and he was, you know, of course, he wasn't, uh, you say they're not, it's not war photography per se. He did apply to be a photographer, but he didn't get in. But he took his camera anyway, and, and he had a way of finding his own way. You know, he probably wasn't supposed to be doing that, but he did, and no one stopped him. That's it. You know, that, that, that's kind of a theme throughout the documentary. Is like he, he makes his own way through things, and he, he doesn't seem to suffer terribly for the most part. There's that, that sort of depression period that you talk about, but, but he really does. Like, so he, he doesn't become a war correspondent or, or become a war photographer for the military, but it, it frees him up to just make whatever photos he wants to make as opposed to being assigned to ceremonies and things like that, right? Exactly, and, and he just had yeah. this belief in his own quest that he was on, that mm-hmm. he didn't question it, he didn't contextualize it, he didn't, he didn't do what a lot of people in contemporary photography do, which is always trying to understand their own work, what's mm-hmm. the meaning of this, and what, why am I... He was just doing it, it was just yeah. like breathing, like a lot of these photographers of his generation, he was just out there doing it, and, and, yeah. and he often didn't look at his negatives, he didn't right. spend time poring over 
curating the sequence. He was just, because he was out shooting again the next day. And that's another reason, perhaps, why it took so long for him to have a monograph as his work. He wasn't was the, trying. No, exactly. You know, who, who wants to go back and sit and try yeah. and figure that out? You know? Oh, yeah. No, I mean, I, often people get someone else to do that now, don't they? Exactly. Because photographers aren't often the best people to do that. <laughs> I do want to back up a little bit. So you're, you're making this film with a, a production company that's yours. So this film really is um, very independent, solely mine to, to make. And it just kind of evolved that way. There was no plan. It, was, it genuinely was an organic thing. I, I, I love photography. I follow, um, you know, photographers. And at the time, this was going back probably six or seven years now, uh, six years, I saw a tweet from a, a photographer. Uh, I'd not even on Twitter. I, if, in fact, you know, I wasn't. I got off Twitter shortly after that. And if it wasn't, if if I wasn't on it at that time, I wouldn't uh-huh. have known about this. <laughs> but he, there's a guy, Jonathan Canalis, who's very kind of active in the film is not dead sort of movement, film photography. Sure. And I used to follow him, and he said he just tweeted this Kickstarter thing. Said, hey, there's a load of guys trying to get this old photographer a, a book made. You know, this his, his work's cool. Check it out. It was about that. I'd never kickstarted anything before. But I had a look and thought, oh, I like this is the kind of thing I like. Chucked down the 60 bucks or whatever it was and completely forgot about it. And it was about <laughs> a year later, the book arrived at my house. And, <laughs> and it was a really, really nice book. And I, and I mean, I think they made 500 of them or something like that. It's out of print. And I just, every image, I was like, this is really just very, it, it wasn't challenging. It was very easy for me to just like, uh, appreciate the, these pictures. And I thought... There's something about this. Who's this guy? So I started looking into it a little bit more. And no, nobody had... I, you know, I ended up getting in touch with the gallery, who, a local Boston gallery who were working with him at the time. I said, you know, surely someone's doing... No, no, you know, has anyone else ever made a film about this? No, no. I thought, okay. And they said, oh, we'll, we'll give you his number. So yeah. it, it, it was very easy coming there. I didn't know what, to, what I was going to make at that point. I thought I might, might make a short film... Uh-huh. Um, that's the um, para panopticon. Panopticon. Yeah, that's yeah. It. At the time, it was a guy called Jason Landry who's mm-hmm. um, who owned the gallery, in fact, and ran it. He's not there anymore, but he was working with a guy called Jim Fitz uh, up in Boston, and they were the guys who sort of rediscovered this old black and white work. Um, and that is documented in the film. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, at the time, Harold um, had had some great success later on in life with these color. Still oh yes, the flowers. That's but, wild. So people knew him as that guy, and right? Everyone was sort of going, kind of no, pretty that guy colorful flower guy, yeah. right? And I was, <laughs> if I'm honest, I was like, yeah, that's kind of nice. Not really for me, you know. As a lot of people have said, even in the film. But when I saw the other stuff, I was like, no, yeah. this is this is my kind of my. Kind oh of, yeah, no, that the, the flowers and the shells, those are his coffee table books, and yeah. And someone in the documentary says, and th- those are the prints you'd hang on the wall in your yeah. living room, right, right. But I think <laughs> when you learn when when that's put into the sequence of his life and his career, and it makes sense, and you see why oh, that yeah. happened at that point, I then got a better in understanding and appreciation for that work because you know what's behind it and what's happening for him. And that was a real distillation of his worldview, really. It really is. I I saw it as... um as I've seen with other photographers, it's it's when you start to lose mobility a little bit, you start to, you know, it's harder to get around, but you're still that inquisitive person who wants Mm. to learn and see Mm. and absorb. And so you figure out a way of doing it while sitting down in some ways. Yeah. And well, that's the thing. And, and, uh, you know, as we know, photography, part of the beauty I always thought is this link between the technology of this. It's a mechanical thing. Um, and the art and, and Harold's often talked about when he is talked about by people who know him is it being all about the art follow your kind of you know your instinct 
But he was also a great technician, and, it, and, and practically, he was a brilliant darkroom printer. He taught it, and he was, you know, and quite exacting about that, which isn't like the rest of his character, which is much looser and more sort of vibey. Right. You know? But he was, so when it came to this point in his life, it was technology driven. He was looking for, okay, I can't stand at these sinks anymore for eight hours a day, although he used <laughs> to love doing that. He couldn't do it anymore. So, so he did buy a computer and he bought a scanner. And, and uh, Yeah, he, so the flowers and seashells are made uh, using the scanner as a camera. Exactly, uh, yeah. Which, of course, is uh, it, it's almost like going back in time to you know using a large-scale photography. And I think he almost kind of fudged it. When people were asking him about uh -huh. that at the time, he was like, yeah, so I've got a you know digital camera with an 8 by 10 back. <laughs> you know? And people were like... Okay, and they were like, "How do you get that lighting, though? Because it's very right. direct." Yes. He's like, "Yeah, I have my ways." You know, people were speculating, you know, "Oh, does he, is he bouncing it from here?" And custom-made ring lights, exactly. And all, right? yeah. yeah, and um, and but yeah, it was a flatbed scanner with a black box. The on box top. is the key to it, exactly. right? Because otherwise, you're just pressing things. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it, it's really it's fascinating and, and definitely something people should watch. And after this festival, um, what's the hope? Where do you where where do you want it? You know? Yeah. You well, I mean, I mean. We would love as many people as possible to see the film, obviously. Um, and it's a tricky business of um, distribution it, it, and everything. It's the movie else. biz, yeah. you know. But we've got um, there will be some more film festivals where it will be shown at, so it won't be out there completely on free release too soon. Um, but there'll be a screening in London, and then hopefully television. Video on demand. Who knows? We we don't know where, but it'll be available. Do you think the BBC would be interested in it? Yeah, th definitely. They're, they're they're looking at it at the moment, um, and, and we'll see what happens there. Um, but as I said, it's kind of um, I'm doing this project alongside other things to pay the bills, and <laughs> you know, so it's a slow burn. But also, that's been great about it. Really, it, the film is we we made it quite slowly, very lean. And it, we, it could just be the right thing at the time. We didn't force it to try and be something it wasn't. It just evolved. And, and this process as well will be the same. You know, it'll find the right home. Yeah. Um, and I've had some interesting conversations this week with people like the New York Mayor's Office has this great film unit that I didn't know about. I wish I knew about it when I was filming. <laughs> there could have been more help. But, you right. know, there's people like that. And they're obviously really keen for people here to see the film. It's, it's great. So it will be out there eventually, but it could be a, a year's time. Right. Maybe um, something with the Museum of the City of New York. And yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and there's Harold has some um, big retrospective shows in in the, the sort of unconfirmed yet, but there there will be things happening. Is there still a connection to the Howard Greenberg Gallery? Or um, no? Uh, okay. Well, he um, well, was there ever? I don't know. No, I don't think there was. Yeah. I mean, H Howard knows of Harold's work well, and he has done some things in the past. He took a few of. Um, Harold's prints to Arles two years ago when he was doing a Grossman exhibition and, and it was also, you know, it's people who following on from his legacy. So that, so that he's aware of it and, you know, but um, no, so he has, in France there's been uh, an exhibition uh, in Paris and we're looking at one for London next year. So that's all kind of going in tandem with the film as well. There is that community, of course, as you well know, of people who will love this film because right. they're really into it. Mm. But it's a it's a broader film as well. So I hope you know general people who are interested in art and music and mm -hmm. culture will also enjoy the film. You know, absolutely. Uh, so yeah. so it's a two two tier thing. Yeah. So you you discover his work through the Kickstarter. You get the book. That is, is that about 2014? Uh, that was earlier. That was 2012. Oh wow! I then started talking to. Harold and Judith, his wife, about the prospect of the film. But this was all slow kind of going as well, you know, an email here and there. And it wasn't until 2014 that um, his, Harold's health started to fail quite seriously and he, he did have a heart attack. And Judith dropped me a line and said, 
if you're serious about doing this film, just FYI, let's no. get on with it. So I did. And that, that was where I had to kind of take a bit of a leap of faith and just, you know, it's been funded, you know, by, <laughs> that was completely funded <laughs> by myself, hopped on a plane, right. came over, shot, so, and, and, and did some really nice interviews that week with people who were in New York. So uh, A.D. Coleman. Yes, um, yes. You know, he, he knew of Harold well before that and had worked with him. So I managed to grab a few and some, some of his students uh, who are also now, um, photographers right. in their own right. Um, right. Mariette Pathy Allen, I don't know if you know her work. Um, mm -mm. Peter Angelo Simon, so he's in Brooklyn. So I managed to get a few of these interviews in the and all of a sudden that's when it was like, this could be a bigger thing. This let's, is happening. Let's yeah. tell the whole story. Yeah. Um, and it's not just about Coney Island. You know, it kind of, that's the hook. He was born there. We took him back there. And it really is, it's a great... That's a nice moment. It's a real, <laughs> yeah, 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 in the film, yeah, yeah, yeah isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and that, there is, that is the heart, that's the pulse of it, is that. But really, I, I, you know, as I learned more about his work, I got more interested in... Mm -hmm. um, so when Harold had sort of uh, moved away a little bit from the New York scene, and as I was saying, it, it, it was very much a confluence of a few things. You know, he, he had uh, a baby, had a child, and, and another one on the way to look for, uh, look after... Um, he got this teaching job and that was starting to pay the bill. So, so that drew him away in different ways. And he was working up in Putney, Vermont, at Wyndham College, a liberal arts college up there. And he loved that. And it was a real moment, I think, in the 70s where everyone was kind of loose and free and, and you know, they were exploring and he could take the class out to the lake and they'd shoot and then they'd just have a swim. And, <laughs> you know, that, that kind of suited him well. It wasn't the uh, academic, it wasn't so strict academia, right. you know. And it, um, it was a little leftover from the hippie kind totally. of movement. Right, yeah, right, yeah. I mean, yeah. he wouldn't be... Uh, I don't think the hippie's a bad thing. I think he'd be right. proud of it as well. Um, but I think, so, and his work then started to reflect that. So that, you know, you start to see more landscapes and, and more sort of nude studies and, um, and they're all beautiful work and, and they're not street photography, you know, and it's not New York. And, but he was just applying his same eye to whatever was around him. And then, um, you know, later on in the film, there's a section where he starts to travel. He'd never traveled. Apart from Korea, he hadn't really left... With one of his wives, isn't with, that with right? Susan right. Falk, his wife. She was a great traveler, a great, a great wanderer. Loved traveling. She just took him along. Her story it? is is fantastic. It's, it's funny. I needed, it? I needed something else. I needed something different. <laughs> so I got divorced. Yeah, <laughs> she got, she got what she wanted. It yeah. was a, my first husband was someone my mother would have picked off a shelf of husbands. <laughs> yeah, yeah. At the husband There's shop. There's a lot of great lines in the documentary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Su Susan's fantastic. She again is a photographer and, uh, as well, and you know a lot of a lot of them are. She, and she lives here on the, on the, in the West Village. And Harold used to live there when he was in, in in New York. So they so when he went to Europe, you know, he just and she says it was like seeing this place through new eyes because he just looked at this. Wow, this is amazing! All this stuff I've never seen it before, and he shot acres of, of rolls of film in, in, mm. in the 80s, just doing same same camera he was using, black and white, uh, 35mm, but he, and he shot loads and loads and loads and loads. He was using stuff. a, a, towards the end, I, was it an Olympus he was using? Yeah, yeah. He, yeah. He'd, he'd started on a, a roll of flex. He had the, the love the rolly. He borrowed the rolly yeah, off yeah. the guy upstairs. Then yeah. he, he, he had a dalliance with a Leica when, so, when mm. he, I think, I hope I don't get this wrong, I think W. Eugene Smith bought him a Leica. That sounds... About the right period, yeah, uh, when and, he was talking and, about Eugene Smith. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I think he, he arranged, and, but then really he loved the size 
weight and simplicity of uh, an Olympus OM1. I think it's an OM3 has oh, yeah. by the end, but it's it's the same. You know, one lens. He never changed it. He never cleaned it. He did. It just <laughs> boom. It worked. You know. Yeah. And um and yeah. So he he shot all this stuff. And and you know, it's a shame sometimes with these films about what you can fit in, even in a long form film. Rumor has it there's. 30,000 color slides sitting somewhere oh. that no one's even opened the box yet. Wow. So that, and I was at one point like, I should get these out. And, and then it just wasn't going to happen in the time and the resources I had. So that could be part two or a book or yeah. something, you know, but there's all that. But really, he was still black and right. white, 35 mil. Um, but yeah, so that, that was the kind of the breadth of it, you know, and, and he did come across these. So you mentioned Mary Ellen Mark, you know, I'm, I'm going through his contact sheets and there's this amazing little shoot with someone I feel like I recognize. But is it? And of course, I ask his wife, Judith, and she's like, oh, yeah, that's Mary Ellen Mark. They knew each other. And, and you're just like, wow. And, you know, I remember seeing those pictures and thinking, whoa, this is a bit of a find, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. I just kind of slip it in the film. We don't make a big fanfare right, about right. it. Just it's the just, title, just, just a, someone right, right. there. But right. sp- some people will, <laughs> will notice, you know. Right. Um, but, you know, and obviously I mentioned um, W. Eugene Smith. Uh, they were close friends and, and, and really kind of, uh, I think they were a, a match for each other. I spoke mm-hmm. to Sam Stevenson, who wrote uh, the book on the jazz loft, brilliant sort of exhaustive account of all that all those audio recordings that gene smith uh, recorded at the jazz loft there and he knew knew gene sort of his psychology quite well and he knew harold and he'd met harold and he was just like yeah. i could tell that they were a match for each other they knew each other they knew not to push each other's buttons in the right way and, and harold had the stamina to work with someone like gene smith in the dark room for hours on end yeah. fueled by whiskey and whatever it was <laughs> Um, well, even that that move to Midtown is, is such a great story because oh, yeah. it, it gets him away from his father and the meat business and relatively abusive father in, in yeah. a lot of ways, yeah. right? Um, but it also puts him in a spot where jazz musicians are just practicing and jamming all night because nobody lives there, basically. Mm. And then Anais Nin shows up and oh, yeah. writes about it in her diary. <laughs> Oh no, that's a great, um, a great line from Sam Stevenson in, in his interview. One one night they had Salvador Dali, um, the Lone Ranger, the guy who played the oh, Lone yes, Ranger on television, right. um, and, Th- and Thelonious Monk in the same room, just hanging that out. Is, you know? Yeah, that's just surreal. Yeah, um, and, and that was a great moment. And I mean, and it's it's well documented Gene Smith's kind of period there. But in, in fact. Gene took Harold's loft. It was ha- Harold was there first. Oh, okay. And they were working together on the Pittsburgh project, in fact. Mm-hmm. And Harold then met Dory, who's, who's the, the mother of his two children, who was an amazing trailblazing jazz musician in her own right at the time. But they had to move away because they had kids. And, and you know, the truth of that loft was, although when you, it, it's romantic for us to look back on it, it was pr- it was a hole, in mm-hmm. fact, as someone says. In the film. <laughs> you know, it was the classic jazz story. There were people jacking up in the stairwell, and right, it wasn't right. a nice place to be. You know, right. it was great if you're kind of just out there living that, but no place to bring up children. Mm-hmm. But it was yeah, it was a real moment uh, uh, there that I don't think again is that widely known. Uh, you know, I think people who know Gene Smith's work would know about that, but that's not his famous work either. You know? Right, no. That's not um, his And he did, a, did some album covers and the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. so yeah, Blue Note Records were, were, were becoming huge at that time and that, that kind of iconic style of theirs. Um, Harold was a great artist beyond f- photography. He, he was a great sketcher, drawings, and, and just had a sense of design. So 
he didn't take the photographs for most of those Blue Note covers because the guy who ran the label was a photographer and mm-hmm. he shot the artist. But he'd give them, give Harold and two other designers the elements and say, right, do that. So just the layout, the typography, right. very simple, but with his kind of photographer's eye of composition is what worked for those. Yeah. Um, and, and he would do things like, for his students when he was doing workshops in darkroom, he'd, he'd draw how to how to process film in the darkroom. Oh, really? Like little cartoons almost. Oh, wow. Beautifully drawn, but a great way to understand this thing. Yeah. That, as you know, it's very sort of... It's very simple, but it's also quite complex when you're learning those things. Well, he has a he has that whole period with uh, Edward Stike, uh, with Eugene Smith yeah. doing illustrations. Oh yeah, right. And yeah. talking about missing photography, but but doing illustration, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, so that was the Pittsburgh project. So oh, yeah. Eugene Smith was struggling to get this. It, he was supposed to have delivered it in 15 days or something, and he ended up shooting for three years. <laughs> came back with all this work, and and as a way to just try and get it down. Mm-hmm. Harold was doing the layouts for 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 Gene Smith's idea of what this this uh, story should be in in the magazine, which never got printed. That was right. his sort of director's cut, if you will. Right, right. Uh, it got printed in a slightly reduced way. But normally you just kind of do the layout, like you draw the the rectangle, maybe a stick stick man to say, oh, that's that photograph. Harold drew them all out. Wow. Sketches of the <laughs> photographs, and they're pretty cool, you know. Uh, and, and that exists in uh, Gene's archive, uh, mm. in the original drawings. But yeah, I mean, he was, he was as happy with a pen in his hand and also uh, writing poems. And, you know, he was a bit of a Renaissance man in that way. It flowed right, right. out of him in different ways. Yeah. Know? And so his, his son speaks very eloquently and, and sentimentally about him as well. Is, mm. is it, so I. Is it John G J O N? Okay, right, right. Yeah, spelt G J O N, but John Feinstein. Yeah, he's a, a fantastic guy, and I was really, really pleased and sort of honoured to have him in the film. He's a he's actually a chess master. Oh wow! Uh, and he teaches chess down in California. Uh, so he's a bit of a genius. Unlike Harold, who who as you know we know is this kind of quite freewheeling, very um, instinctive guy. John's. You know, <laughs> chess masters aren't like that. Yes, usually. right, right. So those things are probably if related. If they are, they're usually a little crazy. But yeah, yeah, yeah right. But he's, you definitely have the a sense that he's a, a very uh, well-composed person uh, in the yeah. documentary. And as you say, he was very articulate and, mm-hmm. and eloquent in the film. And I think, you know, his childhood being brought up by a jazz musician and a photographer, um, <laughs> it's, not, it's not your ideal setup for no. sort of 2.4 family, you know. But uh, and, and he hints... He hints at, he doesn't say directly, but you get the, you can tell when, when people are speaking um, very uh, emotionally connected with people, when, they, when they're speaking from the heart, you can sense the disruption, like in his own life, like the sort of the craziness of it all. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and I think, you know, they were flying, when Harold and Dory broke up, she was living down in Texas. And Harold was in New York, and the kids would he go and between the two. would hop on a plane. And but ride, in a way, yeah. they... Harold spent more time with his kids than a lot of men would have done commuting to work at the bank. Because it, it was era. like set time. And he it was, would have a month right. with them living with him in New York. Right, and they'd spend right. all day together. I mean, as John says, they didn't really go to school that much, which wasn't probably yes. great for them. <laughs> but they did do lots of other cool stuff. Right. They turned and, out all right. Yeah. Well, actually, I don't. So I don't know about Robin. Well, that's, I'm glad you mentioned that. And it's okay. one, again, it's one of those things in, in, in the film which is difficult because... They're not exhaustive, you know, a, a documentary film. Sure. Just, especially yeah. one with like this, which I was keen to not have a commentary and a narrative, always kind of telling you what to think and making those connections. You know, I wanted just to put the things out there. So you can only include what people tell you about. 
And sometimes some of it just doesn't quite work in the edit. So Robin, uh, Harold's daughter, who's very close to, and she was a, a, another great soul, I think. And, and in that period in the 70s, she, was, she would have been a sort of hippie soul as well. She was a great um, animal rights activist and, oh. and worked with dogs. And mm-hmm. she, she was um, a, a lovely woman. Sadly, she died of, of cancer. Um, oh. In her uh, quite early, so late, later on in Harold's life, but in her thirties, so uh, that was a really sad moment, and it was an important moment for Harold. But in the film, it just didn't quite fit to go. Oh, and by the oh, way, yeah, Robin's didn't. Yeah, Robin's Robin no died. longer you with know, us. Right, right. Have, it wouldn't have worked. It, it would only have made sense if if Harold maybe had brought it up while talking to you or something yeah. like that. Or, and right, I did right. ask him about it, and he does mm-hmm. talk about it. But again, in in, in these yeah. ways, it, it wasn't... Um, it, it, it just wasn't, wasn't organic wasn't to the earned. narrative. Yeah, it would have been a bit weird in there. If she, and obviously, if she was alive, she would have hopefully been in the film and told her... Right, right. But John and her were very close, so I think he was... It seemed like He it. was speaking on behalf of, of them. Um, oh, absolutely. He mentions her quite a bit. Yeah. Um, and then you see the pictures of the of the two of them together. You You do get the feeling that they were in their own way, protective of each other because of the back and forth mm. between the parents and all. Yeah, yeah. and they were real survivors in, mm-hmm. in, in that way. Yeah, they but they also, they, they recognized the value of what they got from that slightly uh, offbeat right. parenting. You know, mm-hmm. they, I think they, now I think, probably easier now looking back. Oh yeah, sort of, I'm sure there were rough times. <laughs> absolutely, yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah. but uh, and that is a sort of another kind of implicit theme in the film is, is parenting, fatherhood particularly, you know, as you know, in, in the film, there's a lovely sequence where John reads a poem that Harold had written for him, which is a beautiful poem, I think. Um, oh, yeah, that's uh, that's an amazing moment. Yeah. yeah, and yeah. and and Harold shot a lot of parents and right. fathers and sons. Um, and I this was something I discovered while making the film. I wasn't aware of it. But then you see these lines in someone's body of work and you go, oh, OK, it's it's a theme that was close to his heart. Right. And he's engaging with it, not explicitly, but. It's there, you know. His own father was was very influential on him as a young man. He worried about his own role as a father and parenting his own children. Um, but he he loved that kind of innocent family, the love between between parents, and he often saw that. You know, yeah. there's another section where when he was in Europe, in fact, he he filmed he shot load of photographs with an English family. Um, oh right! Who, he, he he said the, the the mother was so beautiful. Yeah. The the in the, wa- the swimming photographs. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And this was in Ibiza in in the eighties. Mm-hmm. Um, Ibiza in the eighties. That would have been pretty cool to be around. I'm right. Sure. You know, <laughs> nice time before the techno music kind of kicked <laughs> off. But um, yeah, and he was of course as well. I think all these um, looking back on the history of photography and these sorts of films, it's about things that wouldn't happen now. You know, and I know this is it feels a bit cliche to say it, but. When Harold was walking up and down a beach in Ibiza, a, a nude beach, in fact, right, right, people were cool with that because he was out there. He was cool. He was very. He wasn't a kind of furtive sort of over here he with a long lens. He, like was, he was. He was all yeah, out right, there, right. you know. And he'd yeah, meet yeah. people and talk to them, and he'd shoot because that's what he did. But he was probably the only guy in town with a camera because people didn't have them on them all the time. It was different, and he was making art with everything he did. And I think people just got that straight away that that's he was just. It he didn't was an seem artist. pure. Purians, basically, and, yeah. and today with phones and you know all over the place, I'm sure. I mean, topless beaches are are much more protective. Now. Absolutely, yeah. 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 And you kind of think, well, that's fair enough. If it means we don't get those photographs, and right. and there's a good reason for that, that's okay. But I think in those times, you've got to see those 
photos in the context of when yeah. they were taken. And, and um, his photos are affectionate. Oh, yeah. That, yeah well, that's yeah. the thing. If yeah. There's no glamorization. There's no sensational mm-hmm. look to them at all. You know, right. the, it's just all very um, open. And, and it's this appreciation of, of, of humanity in all its forms. Because he didn't just take photographs of good-looking people. You know, <laughs> he, he, loved a, he loved a roll of fat and a big nose or a you know, pronounced... You know, so he... It was everything. It was yeah. always everything. It mm-hmm. was all beauty to him, and, right. and and that and I think that's important. That family, in fact, spoke. I, I did talk to the English family, and they didn't end up in the film, but they just spoke so fondly of of him and the and the photographs. They cherished them. You mm-hmm. know, they're the, they're the best photographs they've got of their family. And oh, their kids. nice. Sadly, the father in that family isn't well at the moment, so that was one of the reasons they didn't take part. But you know, it was just it was. A series of these stories, I'd meet people and they would all just sort of talk about the the kind of afterglow, really, uh-huh. of, of having interacted with, with Harold, you know. So that's what I think hopefully the film will have a bit of that afterglow yeah. as well, you know. So in reality, you only got to spend about a full year with Harold? Not even that. I mean, oh, wow. it was because I'm based in the UK. Right. Um, so I would come. O- I came over for that first shoot and um, had a couple of days with Harold at his home up at uh, Merrimack, Massachusetts, at the time. And then we came down to New York for a couple of days and went to Coney Island. And that was that shoot really. And then I came home, and it was a big. It was a long time before everything moved on again. Mm-hmm. And I was like, right, I need to do. I now need to go back and fill in all the gaps. But that again could only be. I think it was nearly just under two weeks. Oh, wow. And for me, <laughs> that meant I had to go to Portland, Maine, oh. um, San Antonio, Texas, Raleigh, North Carolina, New York, Santa Cruz. Oh, wow. So it's very <laughs> limiting, in fact, what you can achieve when you've got all those mm-hmm. places. And I'm filming. So I shot the film as well. So I'm just constantly filming in between. We're on the way there. I'm like, stop there. I'm going to get a shot of that. that. You, you and your editor? and Yeah. Well, no, oh. I actually had an assistant with oh. me. That, uh, it's got a camera assistant. Keith, who I work with a lot, he, he was driving. And, you know, so I'm always thinking, I see something, can that, does that illustrate one of the stories? Um, well, that's, that's the other thing. I, the sense I get from the contemporary footage mm. is that it's, it's you acting as a photographer, like looking around. Like mm. the footage mm. is all about the way someone might just constantly be sc- look, looking and scanning for a photograph. Yeah, right? yeah, that, yeah. Well, that, yeah. and to be honest, that's how I've always shot mm. everything. So, I, you know, my background was in um, music documentaries and arts documentaries for television. But that's how I love to make those too. So if I was making a film about Damon Albarn and his new album, which is the first solo album, if I was with him and we were out filming, I'd film it in exactly the same way. Oh, interesting. And so that's just that's, how I do it. It's almost like a street photographer style. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And they're in it. There are subjects in it. But then you also take on their point of view and, and you can see through there. So I think, you know, probably luckily my, my view, my gaze is probably quite similar to what Harold's was in a way. I probably noticed similar things he would, not, not exclusively. <laughs> but it, so it kind of chimes. And, and actually one, one person, Philippe Garner, who's in, in the film interviewed, he based in London. Um, he was at uh, Christie's auction house in the photographs department there. He, he in fact, you'd be interested, he, he's the auctioneer for the most 
expensive photograph ever, which was the Man Ray oh. sold in Paris <laughs> two years ago. They bring him in for the big ones. Yes. And he's, you know, with his, you know, he's a fantastic guy and a great lover of photography and a great um, scholar. But he was ta- he was looking at the film and he actually said to me, because you know the footage of people out in the street and all that? Is, it, is that Harold's? Oh, wow. So did he also use a cine camera? And I was like... No, actually, that's what I filmed. But he thought that was How complimentary. And I was like, right. okay, that's great. Because, yeah. you know, I love that film. I don't know if you've seen the film. Um, Raymond Depardon uh, is a great documentary about him shot a few years ago. Oh, he, no, I haven't he's, seen the documentary. Huh? He switched between, it's great, you should see it. He switched oh. between stills and cine film uh, oh. all the time. And oh. when he would, there's a sequence where he, he'd just stand on a street corner with the film camera and editors hate this, but he would just leave it rolling. <laughs> right, and, right. And I, I like that as well. When you've seen a shot and you're on it, and you see something else. So what? When you know, often when you're making stuff for TV and you've got to turn it around and edit quickly, it's a nice thing to do to cut the camera, reframe, get the new shot, and roll it again. Mm-hmm. So we all know where it starts and ends. But what he used to do is he'd just follow it, follow his eye, and so you drift and you see things and people walk in and out of your frame, and yes. then you follow that. So you can see your eye moving around. I love that, yeah, and uh, that's yeah. kind of what I was doing with that. Um, well, and you were, I mean, when you're, when you're creating a documentary or someone, you're get, kind of getting absorbed into their life. I'm sure, mm. I'm sure some of the, his images are just sort of roaming around your head while you're shooting. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think it all just sinks in mm. and, and that's, that's, that's the joy of it as well for me. You know, you do, you come out on these things, you don't know what you're going to get. You don't know what people are going to tell you. You don't know what you're going to see. Um, there's certain things you can plan to do. So, you know, in the film we, I, I said, right, I want to go through a portfolio of his. Let's look at the photographs as prints. I wanted to establish them as artifacts, you know, not just digital imagery, rostrum as we'd call it, you know, like <laughs> the Ken Burns effect. As right, right, know. right. But I wanted to see these prints as well. So I filmed yeah. this and I knew that I could use that. But the, but the best stuff is when you're on the way to film an interview with somebody and you're thinking about them. So uh-huh. you're thinking about how they interact with the story and how, and then you see something and it just chimes and you film that. Um, there's a, a little sequence, not much of it made it into the film, but I was filming up in uh, Woodstock, New York, just because one of the interviewees happened to live there in, in their summer house. And we, we drove through Willow, New York, which is next door. And, and for uh-huh. me, it's, it's just such a beautiful, cool place, very Americana, but also mm. very pretty. And there was this um, car, what you call it, a body shop, um, you know, garage where they fix sure. up old cars. Yeah, yeah, a body shop. Yep. Yeah, body shop. So we just pull, I just, just, let's just pull in here a minute. And the light was quite nice. It was a little late afternoon. And we just stayed on the other side of the road and just shot these guys wandering around. They were all great characters. You could make a film about all of them, you know. And I was like, I'm not quite sure where this is going to fit, but I'm going to film it anyway because we're here and it's great. And then there's just a moment when we're moving from one place to another, and it just made sense to see that, and it was it was a rural scene, mm-hmm. and I and I'm happy to do that. You know, it wasn't in the film. We're going to Vermont. This wasn't in Vermont, but it doesn't matter. It's the right. same sort of vibe, and, and that's fine. It's not forensic. It's not about. Yes, it's not an about academic retracing his steps, or, yeah, right, and you're right, trying right. to represent things, right. because there isn't much. You know, often with these things, you don't. The great thing with the photographers, you've got their body of work to look at. But there isn't always lots of other footage, right? So, you right. know, like w- with famous, you know, public figures, you've got all their times they were on television or when they're filmed. Or documentaries that were made about them years ago are a great source of seeing what they were like. <laughs> so with this, we had to be a bit more um, creative with things, and we but we found some great stuff. For instance, Harold gave a talk at the SVA where oh. we are in <laughs> in, um, in the eighties, and it was a great firebrand sort of 
oration to the students, just urging them to, as Harold always did, to follow their... That's it. That's you know, right. You mentioned that in the documentary. He, he started every class with kind of this opener, right? Yeah. This, this opening kind of statement mm. about why we do what we do or mm. how we do what we do. Or there, There's one line that he has something what like keeps that. me from this is what it, keeps me from yeah. this yes yes yeah yeah well, which we all as photographers yeah recognize that you know it's like why aren't i out shooting today you know we were <laughs> like i could be and i've been walking around new york the couple of days since i've been here this is like the best day we've had in oh, like beautiful. two weeks yeah, yeah yesterday was pretty grim wasn't it <laughs> yes yeah. this is great and yeah. of course you're, you're seeing the light it's this nice hard cold right, right. winter light and you're like it's great <laughs> but i've been really busy going between meetings and here there and everywhere and i've got my camera with me oh and I'm yeah like I feel this obligation. I should be shooting this. That's I'm in, right. I'm in New York. I'm in Manhattan. <laughs> but then I'm like, no, I'm late. <laughs> That's right. I, I but, so you feel that and you're like, what keeps you? Well, lots yeah. of things keep you from it. But yeah, he, yeah. his whole thing was, well, don't let them. And I think this is another interesting part of the theme of the film is where do you draw the line? Where do you um, do the right thing? And where do you borderline on sort of recklessness to follow your muse and, you know, we all do that, you know, have this conundrum at times as well. And he followed his his path. And from a very early age, he he, he knew he was an artist and that's what he was going to do. Never considered anything else. Mm-hmm. And there's fallout from that, you know. You have to compromise in life, you know. And he managed to just about get through that, you know, yeah, yeah. slightly unscathed, <laughs> but a little bit scathed at times. Right, know? right. So, um when do you just put the camera in the bag and go and do what you should do? Uh, or when do you just follow right. that thing? You see a shot, but you're supposed to be picking your kid up from school. Yes, exactly. What do you do? Right. You know? <laughs> uh, he might have a different answer to yeah, that question than someone else. Try to do both, but you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, let, let's go back. You, you mentioned that you, you, know, you have this, um, this, this film style, this, this uh, way of shooting. Where did you get your start? Where did you grow up? I well, I was born up north in England in Leeds, um, but moved down south in when I was about ten. So I can't claim to be a northerner anymore. That would be, that would be good, but I wouldn't get by the. Uh, yes. Yes. Well, where, the, what is your accent mostly? Well, I'm probably somewhere in between. It's oh, nothing okay. nothing interesting. Really, <laughs> but so I mean, I would I tell people here I'm from London and I work in London all the time. I now live just outside, sort of an hour mm-hmm. west of London. But yeah, I mean, I I was I went to college and did a. English literature and media communication degree, which was mm-hmm. bits and bobs of everything. And I found myself doing away with the the serious modules whenever I could <laughs> and replacing them with practical modules. So that's why I took up photography at that mm-hmm. time, because you could spend all Friday in the darkroom uh-huh. uh, listening to the radio, and it was it was great. So that's when I started taking photographs. But, but really, my background was television, um, so I wanted... I thought that's what I wanted to do, and uh-huh. I had a great just over ten years working for the BBC in, in the uh, mostly oh, wow. in, the, in the music television department, which is um, you know was the best job in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you mind if I ask how old you are? I'm forty. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, so this was kind of my twenties and mm-hmm. half of my thirties. <laughs> uh, great time, and so we were doing live music. I don't know whether you know the show later with Jules Holland. Uh, I think it's on TV here on some channel, but it's a great uh-huh. live music in the round show. And we used to do the music festivals, Glastonbury Festival. Oh, so wow. I'd be out there filming, yeah. again, not the main act, but the little right. peripheral stories. So the underground and the, the kind of fringes of a music festival, for instance, we were doing reporting from the field on that and cutting little films. 
Um, and then, yeah, and, and a lot of sort of profiles of, of um, musicians mostly. So I made a film about Elton John or <laughs> Damon Albarn. But those were more traditional often in terms of lots of talking head interviews and archive footage. But my, my actual style, if there was one, was, was always a bit more to shoot myself and to be out there and observe and, and just sort of see the story. Um, funnily enough, this film, which is kind of the first totally independent film that wasn't mm. commissioned that I've made, isn't that style. There's a bit <laughs> of it in there, but it's actually quite a traditional talking right. heads and archive being his photographs. Right, right. Yeah, you have to get in the archival footage. Yeah, and it was the best way to tell his story. If, mm-hmm. he'd been, if, I'd, if I'd discovered Harold Feinstein 20 years earlier... It would have been a completely different film. Right. We'd have, he'd have been in his pomp and he'd have been out right. there. And, you know, I'd have been tagging along, I'm sure, trying to kind of observe. More this like following a, a band. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, but when, when you're looking back, and I think that's the other thing about a lot of films like this, when he was at a stage in his life where he was looking back, you know, he knew that he didn't have that long long left, really. Um, he was in his 80s when he died right. anyway, but he did have, have some health problems. There's that so, great scene in his house i think where mm. he's fo- surrounded by friends and family and he's holding up photos and just showing them like it's yeah. a class yeah, yeah well he yeah. Would, that was a kind of interestingly that i didn't film that that took place oh. about 10 years previous oh, okay and a, and a filmmaker and photographer based in new york todd weinstein uh, ah. and his partner at the time peter norman made a film about harold it was a sort of 15 minute film that, that went online and so they, they would they'd cottoned on to sort of what i did as, as yeah, well yeah. but earlier um, and they filmed that, but that was actually a, a reunion of some of Harold's former students. Oh, and they'd okay. got together to kind of reenact what, what he always did. Uh-huh. So he, that was his method of teaching. That's he, wild. Yeah, he would yeah. do that opening um, gambit, the opening right, riff. Right, But then they'd just look at each other's work and they'd, they'd discuss each other's work. And that's where it all came from. It was not top down. It was, it yeah, was yeah. like, you know, I want to see what you've got. That's so nice. he continued yeah. to do that, yeah. Um, <laughs> and they were all, it was funny. You know, you could tell the vibe was good. People enjoyed those right, um, right. sessions, you know. Um, <laughs> and I think now... That's very commonplace, and work, photography workshops like that are all over the place, and, and lots of it photographers is. do yeah, them. Yeah. But at the time, f- photography tuition was much more regimented, and it was, it was you know, this is how you do this, that. And the other. Harold was like, no, 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 who am I to tell you? Come on, let's see what you've got. You know? mm-hmm. um, those uh, those yeah. sessions were great. And th- that was sort of my one bit of archive footage of him that existed and generously those guys allowed me to use it in the yeah. film so but, but they love him that you know they, they're doing it because they love the work and, and right. what he stood for as well so you, you were talking about um then you know how you shoot in your style and you, oh, yeah. so you when you so you you came out of school you went right to work for the bbc Pretty much via, I, I had a job, um, my first TV job was at, in Sky Television, it was a big you know, satellite channel there. They had all these little channels at the time that were kind of business channels, so they'd have an automotive channel for mm-hmm. the automotive industry. <laughs> um, and they had one called the Pub Channel. And as you know, we love our pubs, as you do here <laughs> in New York, which is yes. great. But, um, so they made a channel for pub publicans, <laughs> people who run pubs, so that in the morning when they're cleaning the glasses and emptying the, the, the waste trays, they could watch, it was like a live, four hours live magazine show with two presenters. Was um, it scripted? Totally scripted links, multi-camera in a studio with little VT inserts. But I've scripted in the way like, what was the dialogue like? Well, it was like a news, it was like a news review show, you know, oh, so okay. they'd be like... Um, items with chefs or there'd be a new bit of legislation that had come in in liquor licensing and they discussed that so that was my first job but then after about a year of that i went into 
to the BBC and right. just stayed there. I mean, that was always, for people like me, that was the dream to work at the BBC at Television Centre in White City. That was the, you know, huh. that was the, the pinnacle. So, yeah, I had great, great time there. But, <clears throat> you know, the industry's changed a lot and most people, most directors now are kind of freelance and you... You work, you make some things for the BBC, as I still do, but then you go and make right. other things for other people. And it's all contract work. Yeah, exactly. yeah, 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 yeah. And okay. it's all you know. It's everything's content now. So you know, we used to. The great thing about that was you put it on the BBC and everyone would sit down and watch it. Now they don't. They watch it when they want and right. how they want. So, <laughs> so it's changed a few. It's all things. streaming. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> but um, but no, that was. Um, I learned a lot from a lot of great people there who I worked for who had come from... It's almost like the last generation of the real old school mm-hmm. way of making TV and Probably. film. Probably, so right, even, right. You know, the, right. the, the TV cameramen were, had been shooting on film mm-hmm. cameras and they understood how to light for film. Right. And so I, I just caught the last end of that, uh, which was a real golden era. People get a bit dewy-eyed about it, <laughs> but it really was. And it was an amazing place to work. And they supported, you know, you could have a job as a film cameraman for the BBC and it was a proper permanent job for the rest of your life and a pension and that doesn't happen anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but those people were great. So, yeah, lots of great stories from, from so those how do days. You, um, so how do you connect your photography to what you do? So you, you loved photography mm. when you were, you were studying and you were in a darkroom, so shooting film and all. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and I still shoot film, yeah. but purely for pleasure. And I think for me now, because all the filming I do for film and television is digital, it's a nice way of separating it for me. That feels like when I have a digital camera, yeah. I f- it feels like work Working, to me. Right. Yeah? <laughs> so even though it's way more expensive and, and I get way more duff shots, mm-hmm. the process of shooting film still for me is much more pleasurable. So if I go on holiday with my family or if I'm here, I take still camera, uh, film cameras. Uh, and do, you, do you show the work? Do you share the work? Uh, uh, no. <laughs> I, got, I had troubles finding it. <laughs> Not really, no. I mean, I did, I used to, when I was, when I was actually staff at the BBC, my little sideline, I would do still photography for, you know, little commercial jobs mm-hmm. and the odd wedding as, as, you know, a lot of people do. And I loved that. Actually. It was really great fun for a while. So I did that sort of photography as well. Um, but in terms of my stuff no it's and it's not really it's there's no concept there's no idea behind it i do -hmm. do it because i enjoy the actual doing of it and then when you get a nice photo that's a great bonus but i you know i'm happy to do and i don't develop you know and i don't print but it's that's that would be when i get five minutes one day yes you might do that right you know but it's it's busy you know i've got two two boys uh two young boys and oh uh, how old uh One's nearly four and the other one's seven. Oh, wow. They yeah. keep me pretty busy yes. when I'm not um, away uh, <laughs> doing this sort of thing. So, yeah, no, I, I mean, I love photography, but it's very much a, mm-hmm. just a pleasure yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. Thing, so. But I'm really inspired by this. When I listen to the podcast and I learn about all these photographers, and I'm... Um, I, I get inspired too, yeah. Yeah, no, it is. It's really infectious. Yeah. But, but the other thing, of course, is I remember when I was doing photography in, at, when I was at university as a sort of elective module, I suppose you'd call it. There was a there was a professional photography course and those guys were the guys who were learning to be professional photographers mm. and they would bring cars into the studio and things like that. <laughs> right. And I was always like, well I'm not I'm not quite that guy. You know, like I I don't <laughs> It's, you it, you felt it then that that wasn't yeah it's part of what I do but it, there wasn't enough of a story in that right you know that that's like creating one amazing clean yeah image and I'm not maybe I'm not a, enough of a kind of uh, my, maybe my 
sort of attention span isn't <laughs> good enough for that, you know. Not type A enough. No, exactly, yeah, yeah. But yeah, no, so when I'm, if, if I live long enough to retire somewhere and have a, I don't know, a barn or a shed, that'll be, a, yes, there'll be a dark room somewhere in there. Right. But no, uh, I'm really, yeah. I really admire photographers who have a practice and they're making real work in film. I mean, it's something yeah. I, you know, I, I, I know how hard it is. I've got, I'm not doing it. I couldn't do it now. I'd have to go back to school and learn how to mm-hmm. do it again properly. But when I see, when I hear about people on here and I, you know, and I, it's like a massive admiration right. for that. And I think it must be so satisfying when you've got real handmade prints to look at and it's a different thing. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's again, you know, with, with, photographers like Harold with the history of photography it's about those prints that survive as artifacts you know and they're becoming more and more valuable because not just even in I think culturally as much as financially Mm -hmm. they're becoming more valuable because uh, everything's so cheap now you know imagery is cheap photos are cheap so um, but you know and and that's the other thing with this film like as much as possible I wanted to use imagery that I'd created or that Harold had created so you know you can buy stock images of things cheaply and but I'd rather go and shoot something so things like he goes to Europe he has this great gallivanting around Europe and he says and I'm like I need some footage for this we've got his stills so I'm on holiday with my family in (laughs) France and I just disappear to a market one day and shoot a load of stuff again in that kind of what Harold would have been looking at right and we put that in the film as the sequence and it I think it just works you know you don't go oh was that actually shot in 2017 (laughs) but no it's fine and in fact the markets look pretty much the same as they would have done then and you have some uh black and white video footage as well right that you converted uh yeah yeah so and we have some some old public domain kind of uh contextual archive of, Mm -hmm. of New York and but it's yeah it's sort of slim pickings the sort of things you can right. use without incurring huge uh, fees yes um, <laughs> licensing but, right? yeah but I always think that sometimes ha- navigating that brings you even interesting things so music again is similar you know we've got a combination in the film of um, s- original score composed by Mike Smith who oh, is okay. a m- great musician who works with um, Gorillaz and Damon Albarn and all all those things. He's actually he plays keys and he does string oh. arrangements. He he's a friend. So he the strings are definitely present. Yeah. yeah so yeah. he's done a lot yeah. of that. But we, I also wanted some. You know, coming from a music popular music background, we, when I was at the BBC, we could use pretty much anything we wanted. You oh. know? What a luxury! I realised that was. You know, <laughs> <clears throat> but things like. I really wanted a track when we do come back to Manhattan in the film. We're about to go into the jazz era. But again, I didn't think it had to be from that era. Right. So and I you heard... Weren't, you didn't have to play Blue Note label. No, exactly. Right, right. And yeah. I heard a guy called Joseph Leinberg on uh, a radio show uh, in the UK, Giles Peterson's radio show. And it was this great trumpet music, but it was kind of a little bit psychedelic as well, a bit groovy. I was like, that's the track. But then you're like, oh, I'm never going to be able to use it. But sure enough, when you're doing these things... You just write to them. You show them the section of the film. You say, we want to do this. He gets it. He gets yeah. what we're trying to do. And he licensed us the track. And, and you're just like, it's really nice to have proper music in there. And it finds its way. But it also sounds, I think the, what you did that, that's really well, it, it, it also sounds original. Like it doesn't sound like that stock jazz, oh, we're in, we're, uh, in Manhattan at night in the 40s kind yeah. of music, right? Or in Paris. <laughs> yeah, or, yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, the, the other things, you, you know, I had to go to great lengths. Um, I, there was a, there's a little section in the film when we're going back to Brooklyn, Bensonhurst of uh, oh, yeah. 1950s. <laughs> I wanted something that felt like that 
Jewish community in the street. So I start listening to things on YouTube. I find this great bit of music that I just fall in love with. But it's, it happens to be a little band who play in Canada down by the river on a Sunday evening. Wow. And they're playing this song and I love it. And the person who's filming it on a little um, handy cam pans from the river to the band. So it, it almost fades in <laughs> on its, because it just naturally. But it was just perfect. So I, I said, we've got to track these guys down. And you'd think it'd be easy because, oh, everyone's just on, you know, they've got a YouTube channel. They must be. It was really hard to find these guys. <laughs> anyway, we found them, and sure enough, they said, "Yeah, great. You can use right. the you can use the track." And it was a, it's a very traditional Yiddish um, oh, yeah. folk song that they were playing, "Tumbala Laika." So I was like, "Great! Now I want it to ramp into a really forceful version of Tumbala Laika to represent Harold's dad, because we had." You know, Musawe, Harold's family member, had said, "Oh, they used to listen to all these old seventy eights. That's right, music from That's the homelands." Right. So I'm like, right. "Right now, it needs to kick in." Found oh, so, is that the music you play at that scene when well, you talk so about then, the music your father yeah. used to listen to? Well, so then I find a version of the song that's way more aggressive, of, right? And I'm like, uh -huh. "This is it. We're going to use it." So we we put it in tempers, we say, just temporarily in the edit, and it just works. I'm like, "That's it." But now I've got it, but. That was recorded in a synagogue in Vienna wow. with a massive orchestra. No way I could clear that. <laughs> right. Okay, now I've got to find a version of that that I can use. <laughs> Did I find one? No. So what I ended up doing was a friend of mine works in a Jewish charity, spoke to the rabbi. He knew another rabbi. Who knew another rabbi who happens to be an opera singer? Spoke to him on the phone. Would you be up? Do you know this old Yiddish song? Oh, of course I do. And it's in two different dialects. I'll find you the right dialect. Wow. He came into my edit suite. I was cutting something else. And I recorded him singing That's to a backing track. And we recreated this whole thing. That's amazing. And he <laughs> loved the fact that he was engaging Part with this. Part of this. Yeah, it yeah. It all worked. But it was a, a lot of work to make that work. And actually a lot of asking people favors. And that's the nature of what, what this yeah. is. But it means you get something that's real rather than a kind of, you know, canned for a copy of it. Yeah, right, exactly. right. Yeah. So no, that, those, was, those little moments I love. No one, you know, it's, it's, on, it's on for six seconds in the film and no one will really notice. No, it, it actually stands out. It's, it's oh, a, good. I think yeah. if, it's, it's, that, it's just one of those moments where you're, you're adding information about people and it's, mm. it's, just, it's painting this very round portrait of someone, mm. you know. The, but, the but, wholesaling butcher as well, sort of yes. this, this kind of the power. Of <laughs> and the, carrying the giant yeah. slab of us. Cow or whatever he's yeah. carrying. <laughs> so it really, it really all came together. But that's right. the, yeah, that's the beauty of these things, and 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 also not having to be really literal about, you know, oh well, that's not exactly the song they would have been listening right, to. Right. So no, well, no. you know, we're we're trying to create um, the essence of this story. Absolutely. Uh, and if we can get that across, then then that's that's you know yeah. hopefully the plan. So we're recording this uh, right before your premiere tonight. That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So we're, yeah, the premiere and it's tonight. sold out. Sold out. With yeah. uh, that caught us by surprise a little bit. All of a sudden, we were sold out. Mm -hmm. so and then by the by the time this is released, the 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 second showing will have happened, which is uh, to. Now, tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> in the yeah, future no, and the past. I mean, right. to be honest, it's such a thrill to be able to premiere the film in New York. Um, it's, it's such a New York film. He was such a typical New Yorker. I yeah. mean, he loved... He read the New York Times cover to cover every day. Mm -hmm. He loved deli sandwiches, <laughs> hot dogs. You know, he was... In fact, like I say, he didn't travel that much and, and apart from when... He was taken, he was drawn by something else. He was so happy with what he had here, and it was enough to fuel him, you know, um, that we were really keen to screen it in um, New York. And Doc NYC is a, a fantastic festival, uh, Doc's festival here. 
and it was just the right fit and, and we were thrilled when they selected the film uh, to play here yeah and it just feels right it, it's it's like it's coming home you know um and wherever we take it from there it'll be great to screen and it meant of course as well that people a lot of the people who were in the film uh harold's friends and family and and ex-students and people can come along and share the, you know this to be the be the first people to right. see it and then you've apart got, from you yeah it's like um, thank you yes thank you <laughs> <laughs> yeah which is great because yeah, otherwise yeah. you know if it had been in london that would have been great for me but they mm -hmm. wouldn't have been able to come along or some of them wouldn't right um, so yeah no we're really thrilled to be here in in new york yeah. and it's new york is also the center of photography really in the world i mean arguably it I, is i like to think so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you know it's where else would you want to uh, right. show the film? <laughs> no, it's one of the advantages to living uh, close to Manhattan and doing this show is eventually almost everyone comes through at some point. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> and you get to see all these shows. You yeah. know, I, I hear about these shows and right. I'm, I'm like, well, I wonder if they'll make it to London. You know, uh, Sarah <laughs> Kennell, who's interviewed mm -hmm. in the film, she just had this great uh, Sally Mann right. exhibition, um, which I think is now going to travel but you know you just kind of oh i'd really quite like to have seen that yes. but you know <laughs> well of course london is a place that uh, a lot of shows do come to of course there's great photography happening in yeah there. yeah uh the the other kind of natural homes for this film would also be philadelphia and boston and right true yeah yeah absolutely boston we should we should really definitely uh, have a screening soon Philadelphia, yeah, that's an interesting one because he went to Philadelphia um, and was teaching there, but also shot a lot in the street there. And a lot of his great, uh, some of my favorite street photography images mm -hmm. of his are actually from Philadelphia. Everyone thinks they're from New York. It doesn't really matter. <laughs> no, but right. a lot of them were actually from Philadelphia. Right. Um, I think things like um, Beauty Parlor Window is a great shot of, of his. Um, oh, okay. That's actually Philadelphia. Was that the one with the the self-portrait reflection? Uh, he, there is a reflection of him in that one. There's okay. a couple of, of reflection ones. Which was sort, sort of, of classic of the time. Yeah. Right, right. Lee Friedlander. Yeah. Of right course, yeah. of course. So there's a few of those. But this one was just the expression of the of the woman, the beautician in the mm. window. Her kind of sassy sort of uh -huh. look at him. But then there's <laughs> another one behind him. And yeah, it's one of those images. You spend a little bit of time looking at it. And right. Uh, a bit like, so I did... Um, I went along at the uh, Photographer's Gallery in London, which is, uh, you know, a great centre of photography there. Uh, Jeff Dyer r did a book with Gary Winogrand's mm -hmm. work, I yes. think, which, which, yeah, yeah. which came out last week. That made the rounds, yeah. Yeah, and um, <laughs> those are all those kind of images, aren't they? You look at them once and you go, oh, that's really great. And then you keep looking and you're like, what? Was I actually love, of Harold's, there's some, there's some nice little curious things that eagle-eyed people will notice like he shot with a pen half frame camera oh, the half quite frames, a lot as yes. well. So there's some ones there where you're like, he's got it that way right. up orientation, <laughs> but it's not that way. And people are like, hold on a minute, is this faked? You know, has this been photoshopped? And it's like, no, it's a half frame camera. Um, and some of the wide lux work he did, which um, yeah, which yeah. is again, they've got that quality where you have to look around the image because there's so right. much of it, and and so much recedes so quickly away from the lens because of the wide angle of exactly, it. Exactly, right, yeah. right. And yeah. he was very sort of agnostic like that. He didn't, you know, he if a new camera came out, he'd go and shoot with it, and he he didn't really like he did tend to the uh, you know Olympus thirty five mil 
SLR, but he tried loads of loads of other things. Well, and he says when he picked up the the Roly that like, oh my god, everything looks fantastic. Yeah, <laughs> like everything is a photograph. Yeah, yeah. It does, doesn't it? I mean, I, I, oh, when you looked at that screen, oh medium yeah, medium format. You, you know, yeah. You, you just go, oh yeah, that's, yeah. That's good. <laughs> you know. So oh, yeah. um, no, I think, but yeah, as you say, Philadelphia. I've never been to Philadelphia, but I'd love to go there. But I think also now I'm hoping as well that probably Tokyo has a great community yes. of street photographers who would probably be interested in this you right. know and and i know harold has these funny pockets of followings around the world in turkey uh, that he has a great following really yeah because wow. he did an image and another one of his more experimental things where he, he did it's called um coney on sheet music where he took lots of thin oh, strips yes, yes, of, yes. of the boardwalk and right. laid them together and it right, looks right. like a kind of music score and that was used on a, a poster in in turkey and got into the sort of popular culture into the zeitgeist huh. and people remembered it and he, if he has a show there he has had a show there in istanbul it's really well attended and everyone's like oh yeah we know that image huh. you know whereas they wouldn't know it in no you know, right anywhere that's, else that's funny um yeah so yeah. so you you sort of hope that over the next few years all those little pockets of people will you start know. coming together now and yeah right right with and 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 it seems like that's um it's easier to do now i mean it's easier to mm. communicate and share and and everything else now so there's yeah there's a real chance for that it's just a bit of a minefield trying to kind of keep a tab on it you know and, and, and almost deciding how to well, what's the best way of releasing this film you know bar just giving it away to everyone which, what? which would I be mean, nice you, you, but 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 you also, you know, you need to make a living and you need well, to... Well, I, yeah. I need to get back in, in, the, in the black, you know, right, <laughs> to exactly. break even first. At least break even, right? Mm, right. One day. But, yeah. you know, it's not about that, but it's sort of... Well, you know. but you still need to, you need to survive to be able mm. to keep doing things. Um, but there is a real kind of... I, the other thing is, I think there's now this recent inventory of kind of documentaries about photographers that have been successful well, the, the, the gary winogrand documentary by, by sasha waters fire just came out and, yeah. and it's fantastic and i think that's it's getting a lot of buzz and getting yeah. picked up and yeah yeah and there was obviously the robert maplethorpe oh right film a couple right. of years ago and there's another film about sol leiter um mm-hmm. in no great hurry by an english guy thomas leach that's a similar sort of, you know and you kind of think oh there's a there's almost a little genre here now of right kind of the bill cunningham um, oh, the Bill Cunningham was, was great. early on. Yeah, yeah. So um, it, it's like a set. You could almost do a box set of right. these, <laughs> these films. And they're all different, but in their own way, they, they feel like kindred spirits, you know. Oh, absolutely. I think so. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And it is it is about paying respect and um, not forgetting, you know, an mm-hmm. important uh, part of your history as well. Yeah, yeah. So, well, that's, yeah. I mean, I think for Harold's work, um, Sean Corcoran uh, is interviewed in the film. He's the curator of the Mu- Museum of the City of New York. Right. And of course, their remit really is to, you know, it's about the city of New York. And they, so they always knew about Harold's work and they keep some, of, you know, they have some of his work in their collection. And he says, you know, this, this is a real time capsule. It's important. You know, it's, it's a record as much as it's also, you know, entertaining and we like looking at the photos for different reasons. Um, it's an important record of, of a bygone era that will never come back. And I think other people said as well, it was probably one of the golden, mm-hmm. one of the golden eras. But <laughs> in New York, you know, it, it, oh, was yeah. a great, it was a great moment um, in the late 50s um, that will, won't be repeated, you know. Right. Well, it might be a different <laughs> guys. Exactly. But yeah, so it's important in that way as well. And I think yeah. that's one thing for Harold's estate. They're, they're just 
uh, one of their goals will be just to have a full set of his work mm-hmm. uh, in a museum right. so that people can A permanent collection, it. yeah. They don't want it great. all hidden away in... Uh, boxes here, boxes yeah. there, right, right. Private collections and things. So, so that's great. And he was like that. He was very much about sharing. He would never have kept something to himself, you know. He would have shared everything. And, and right. It's important to kind of pay that on and keep going. Nice. Well, thank you very much, and congratulations. Thank you. That's, That's fantastic. Very kind. I think we should. I think we should close on uh, on Harold's line uh, towards the end of the documentary. The complaint department is closed, <laughs> which is just <laughs> yes. beautiful. Yeah, it's yeah. so beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's a lovely end to the film, um, <laughs> and uh, and that, that's what I want people to leave the theater with. That that kind of sense of closure and right content yeah. contentedness yeah well, well it's been a real pleasure thank you. i'm a great fan of the show oh, i, listen I appreciate to you that thank all you. the time and you know when i'm particularly if i'm like doing some diy or on a long car journey i i uh, I, I, I like you know i love the show <laughs> so it's a great honor for me to come and oh, meet you and, well, and be on that means a lot to me thank you very much all right bye everyone